Well, good morning again. Hope that you had a good week and hope that you do have a good week preparing for holidays coming up this week and hopefully your plans will go well with family and friends and hopefully sickness won't get too involved in that. I know there's a lot of it kind of going around right now and it can make it difficult. Um, but this morning, we come together and we're going to kind of finish up the series um, on the Now What portion of the larger series that we've been kind of going through in the last few years. I wanted to kind of break down my method of madness to give a recap for you. Um, you know, we started off with exploring who God is. Uh, looking at the Hebrew names of God and titles of God in the, the, the Old Testament. Then we looked at what God had done that the Israelites were to remember, kind of culminating that with a look in terms of Jesus going through the Gospel of Luke. Um, we spent some time there looking at what God did through Jesus. And then we've been looking at the now what part of the Gospel message in terms of what are we to do with the gospel message as believers. And we've looked at our sanctification for quite a bit. We started with looking at what it means to walk and keep in step with the Spirit. We've looked at the gifts of the Spirit, and we've looked at some instructions that Paul and other New Testament writers have given to the early church, how they were to conduct themselves as believers to the world as a body. So today we're going to be finishing up that series, and we're going to be looking at Philippians 3. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Now this doesn't happen very often, but this will be a passage that I've preached on in the past at this church. This sort of thing normally happens during your Advent seasons or maybe your Easter messages, where you might have familiar passages that you go over different years. Um, but this is kind of the first time that I'm going to be going over a, a passage of Scripture that I've already preached on here at the church. And it was kind of funny this week as I went back and I reread that sermon. Uh, just how different the circumstances were back in 2017. How things have changed to maybe alter some of the applications that we had then versus now. You know, and as I prepared this sermon with that, that different type of focus in mind in terms of the instructions given to the early church, it was reassuring to me to know how God works through his word differently. Not different teachings, but the, the principles are the same, but the application changes based on our circumstances, based on what we understand in terms of growth in the last five years to see how our emphasis, how our lens and our perspectives can change as we're reading scripture can allow a, different things to be standing out to us when we're reading. You know, the whole idea of just because you read through the Bible once doesn't mean that you understand it perfectly. You know, if, if any of you are like that, please take my spot. Because, yeah, I don't understand it perfectly yet. You know, when we think about the fullness of God given in the Bible. What we study each week is just a drop in the bucket. You know, every time that we read the same passages, new things can stand out. And it's, it kind of excites me as I prepare different messages to hear what the Lord's going to speak to me this week. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me in chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 8 today. Our main focus will be verses 12 to the end, but I'm going to start in 8. 
So beginning in verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Also let us hold, hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Father, as we do go to your word today, I do pray for your wisdom and understanding to come over us. Help us to continue to grow in passages that we have read multiple times. Help us to continue to see your truth each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, again, the main focus today is going to be verse 12 and following, but I started with 8 to give us some context in terms of what Paul is talking about, uh, of what he has not obtained, and the fact that he is not perfect yet. He has not obtained the resurrection from the dead. He has not been glorified and within this passage today, I want to focus on two things that Paul is instructing the early church to stay focused on, two things that they must look to. The first point is what lies ahead. And what lies ahead for Paul, and therefore for the other believers and ourselves, is the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We see that in verse 14. Now, the prior verses are kind of a build-up to this point as he's making this, and he starts in verse 12 with his humble admittance there of not being perfect. And he says he's pressing on to make it his own. He's speaking about his faith. He's speaking about the sanctifying work of the Spirit in him, where he is being changed into the image of God, where he is surrendering different areas and different parts of his life through obedience. Jesus, of course, being that perfect example of obedience. But Paul is saying how this is a lifelong process, that we're not perfected in this life, but it is in the life to come. 
You know, we cannot be expect to be expected to be glorified or perfected until Jesus returns. Now, if you recall some of the context that Paul is dealing with, there are other believers, there are other false teachings that are going on during this time. And they're saying things like, you know, once you're saved, you no longer sin. You know, Paul deals with this issue uh, very well in a lot of his other letters, most famously probably Romans chapter 7, dealing with that struggle of sin that we still face as believers. But he, he lays out this battle of the now and the not yet. It's a struggle and a tension that's difficult for us to live in, where positionally we understand that we are saved, we are justified. We are no longer called sinners in the eyes of God because Jesus paid for our sins, and we are now redeemed children of God, positionally. But the not yet part of it is that we are living out the reality of that through the struggle of sin even now. And we describe this process as being, being sanctified, where we are surrendering more of our old flesh, of the sins, and relying and being obedient to the Spirit, where He is changing us through that obedience, through His power. You know, we will still sin while we are here, but we need to remember that sin no longer defines us. We might try to let it define us. We might try to stay in some depressed states, thinking poorly of ourselves, where we're forgetting that humble grace in which we are to live. One commentator puts it this way. He says, we are caught in this tension. The demand is that we live in the now as those who have died to Christ or who has died with Christ to sin. Yet, we still sin. We have been reckoned by God as righteous and he has accepted us by our faith in Christ. Yet, we are in fact unrighteous. And any claim that we make, sorry, and any claim that we make to righteousness is as filthy rags. This is the tension, and it's a creative tension. We are not caught in impersonal forces to which we are victims, but we are drawn by the powerful impulse of a personal relationship with Christ, where he has made us his own. And that draw of this love makes it necessary for us to be and to become what we are, new creations. Every day we, we proclaim that we are new creations, and every day we humbly confess that we are not where we need to be in terms of, perfect, of perfection. Again, it's a difficult tension to walk. But you know, when I think about living this tension out a little bit more practically in life, in terms of obedience, I look to what Paul says in the second half of verse 13. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This verse is where the reading of the prior sermon was very beneficial to me this week. You know, before I had used the analogy of running longer distances, because at that time when we first moved here, I was still in decent shape. I was still running. Um, I had done a Tough Mudder the year before, that's 13 miles, and you know, I, I just use the analogy of when you're running longer distances, you, you point out a marker of what you want to run to, and you run to that. Because if you think about, I got to run 13 miles, that can seem kind of daunting. It can seem overwhelming. But if you break it up, and you're like, okay, if I can make it to that tree, I'm good. 
and you keep running, and you go to that tree. Then you pick out a new spot. You know, and it was an analogy that I used that, you know, I thought that was a really good analogy. It helps make sense in terms of what it means to forget what lies behind in terms of the pain, in terms of the, the straining that you've already done, in terms of the exhaustion, perhaps. But then, this time around, five years later, my life situation is different. And I don't necessarily want to forget what lies behind. And Paul's words caused a greater pause in my preparation this week. How do you press on? How do you strain forward through grief and loss? And I was stuck on that point for just a moment. That's where, in the prior sermon, I found some reassurement, reassurement in God's word. You see, forgetting is not a complete erasure of the memory. Forgetting is not having those things be the focus or the idol in your life. You see, prior to what we had read there in chapter 3, Paul had just remembered different achievements that he made in his life, being the Benjamite of the Benjamins, being the Pharisee of the Pharisees, having all of these things that he could hold on to, that he could use for his own glory, for his own working, for his own power. That is what he is forgetting in terms of using those things as idols to come before God. So the comforting word in this chapter is that as Paul looks at these past achievements for confidence, it's confidence in the flesh. And he counts all of that as loss, as rubbish, in order that he may gain Christ. You know, so that, that word of God immediately fought back against the enemy trying to attack me, trying to get me to pause, trying to get me to forget or treat Paul's words as forget in a negative sense and not using them how God would have me use them. See, Paul is teaching a picture of how there can be many things in life that can become goals, that can become idols, that we can strain for, that we can strive for in this life that are earthly, that are temporal. And in the end, those things do not matter compared to the matchless glory of God. That is your top priority. That is what we strive for. That is what we pursue, this upward call to glory. You know, too often we tend to wallow in our past failures, times where we make mistakes, where our sins that we claim are forgiven continue to weigh us down, continue to drag us back into the past to feel an endless stream of guilt and shame. This inability to leave the past behind us is contradictory to the healing that we've received from Jesus, the forgiveness that we have received from our Redeemer, rejecting what God calls us to be and how to live. You know, if we say that God has forgiven us or that he forgives us currently a completed action, why do we struggle to appropriate that? Why at times do we refuse to believe in it or walk in it? See, the past robs us. The enemy tries to use our past to rob us of the freedom and the joy that we have in Christ that impacts our present and our future. 
because we use up all of our energy denying what God has done for us to continue to live in shame and guilt. We can intellectually agree with all of the tenets and the doctrines and say all of the right things. But if we're constantly living in fear and anxiety, are we really believing the truth of the gospel message that we have been set free? I mean, how do you view your current state? Do you still call yourself a sinner? Again, not claiming perfection, but are there at least qualifiers in your understanding? Like, I'm a redeemed sinner, or a sinner who has been forgiven. See, sometimes it goes back to our definitions where we can assume understanding when we use certain terms. Like, if I say that I'm a sinner, it's assumed that I've already come to Christ and had that salvation and have that understanding. But if we're talking to non-believers that don't have that assumption, we're not being as clear as we can be to the benefits, to the glory that God has for us. You know, understanding, yes, we still struggle with sin. Romans 7 clearly lays that out. But understanding that the victory has already been won, that your sins have been paid for. The sins that we commit today, the sins that we commit tomorrow. And we're not called to live in that shame and that guilt. Instead, we are called to repent and seek that forgiveness that is there from God. To appropriate that in our life now, to appropriate the Holy Spirit and his, his power in you now that who, who dwells with you. You know, not just as we sin, but during the temptation. To where he brings strength, to where he brings scripture to your heart and mind. To where we're able to say that his grace is sufficient. It's not in our own power. He is the mighty one. He is the powerful one, and he will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age. But too often we can get in these ruts in life. We can get in these ruts that can affect how we're living out our life. But this is a progressive approach when we understand salvation, or sanctification, sorry. You know, Paul, in his terminology, the way that he speaks in chapter 3, in verse 8, he says, that I may gain. In verse 10, he says, that I may know. In verse 11, that I may attain. In verse 12, that I may make it my own. He is constantly pressing forward to his goal. He is pressing forward into the maturity of being a Christian, a believer, you know, practical sanctification, it doesn't come automatically by faith, the way that justification or glorification does. Practical sanctification comes through times of obedience, times of surrender, times of giving up the old self and putting on the new, times of understanding what the word of God says. It's described in many of Paul's letters as walking or keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, the second thing that Paul instructs for them to focus on, to keep their eyes on, is to those who are walking according to the example that they have in Christ. Now, in this section, Paul references himself, and this begins in verse 17. He references, he references himself as someone to imitate, which can always be kind of a dangerous proposition because, again, we all fall short. But Paul has already put any assumptions aside to say that he is not perfect, 
up in verse 12. So then we assume that with them being called to imitate him, he is at least saying that he is walking towards Christ. Now this would be something, this would be a radical view in this day and age because there's a lot of different things that are being taught, um, worldly things that the, the church would be listening to. You would have the Gnostics who would be saying, no, you need this secret type of knowledge in order to attain Christ. You had your Judaizers who were saying, no, you need to become a Jew first and then you can come to Christ. You had forms of legalism and you had forms of liberty that people were taking in everything because, you know, God forgives all our sins so we can live lawlessly, right? And, and Paul will address that here in just a little bit in verses 18 and 19. So to contrast these worldly understandings, he instead would champion the mindset of Christ, which is one of humility. He went over that in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We've gone over that passage multiple times. See, our goal in terms of the upward calling is always Christ. He is what we need to keep our eyes on. He is the focus of how we're living our life. And there's going to be times where maybe our head is down for a while. Maybe we're going through some hardships. Maybe we're going through some trials and we, just, we don't have the strength to look up to Christ. And Paul is saying, look, it's important to have those around you that you can see who are, who are living in faith that can help you press on through those hard times where you can see their faith, they can be mentors to you, and they can help you through these different ruts because we are one body. Now, be careful not to idolize, be careful not to put them on a pedestal as they're following Christ because, again, we all fall short. But we are to be a model for one another in how we live our life and how we live out the faith that we have in Christ. You know, there have been many people here that have helped me along the way on the journey that we've been on. And it's been encouraging. And what Paul says here, it's difficult to say, follow me or imitate me. Because you're either being extremely arrogant or extremely humble. I think for most of us, we would probably wallow a little bit and rather him say, don't follow me. Because we know our shortcomings. We know those areas that we fail. We know we feel that unworthiness. Again, humbly forgetting what lies behind and walking in the truth of forgiveness, allowing us to pursue Christ more fully. As we do that, our faith will be visible to others. Now, I, for a while, it's getting better, but for a while, I absolutely hated, hated, and I don't use that word often, but I hated to hear how I was an example of faith as I continued to serve the Lord in this way after Elaine died. Because I didn't want to serve in that way. I wanted my wife back. But it was through that pain that the Lord has taught and is continuing to teach me that God can use pain for his glory. Because everybody struggles with different types of pain. You know, and this is the kicker, because if we have no one else around us to emulate, to look to, because we're all hiding in shadows of unworthiness, then we're not going to grow as a body 
or as believers. We all become stuck. We need examples from each other to help us grow through things. Because through the pain that I would share from the pulpit or just from conversations, it allowed many of you to step forward and express pains that you are going through as well. Struggles that you are going through that you don't have answers towards. Hard things in life that have honestly been a mixed bag where I don't always have the answers either other than Christ. Continue to persevere. Continue to press forward. And though it hurts. You know, ideally, we want to be pursuing Jesus in the midst of that pain so that we can find some healing, so that we can find some answers, understanding that none of us are perfect by any means. But it's good to be there for one another to help each other out of some of these pits. Because not every pit is an inexplicable tragedy of loss. Some pits can be strongholds that the enemy has been speaking for years in people's lives, whether through addictions, through words, through mental pictures. The enemy is relentless. He will continue to attack. You need to understand that God has already won that victory. You know, the enemy is going to tell us that no one wants to hear us. Nobody loves us. We're all alone. But that's not the truth. We need to continually be open and grow in the areas that the Lord teaches. We need to be there for one another. We model for one another of grace. To have open hearts and ears, shoulders to cry on, whatever it may be. Because we're all struggling through different levels of pain. And we put on our best American faces and say, I can bear through it on my own. We are called to take our burdens to the Lord. And sometimes when we don't have the strength to carry them to the Lord, we don't know the way to go, we have to be able to rely on each other to keep us on that straight and narrow. You know, Paul contrasts the models of, the, of who we are to look towards to those who are still living in sensuality, sensuality of the flesh. And whether that's people in the church, whether that's people in the world, these people, their primary focus is on themselves. It's on their selfishness, um, these people would pervert the sense of liberty that we have into self-seeking or self-justifying things. And he describes them as their God is their belly, meaning they have very sensual appetites. Um, they're focused on the pleasures of this world, and they glory in their shame, meaning what is to be shameful, what is against the word of God, they praise and they celebrate. They walk in those things. They have their minds set on those earthly things. So they're not pressing on towards the heavenly things. And you look at our culture, you look at our world, that is all around us. That's everywhere you turn. And if that's all that we're seeing, slowly but surely we're going to be following that type of path. Again, the importance of the contrast that Paul sets up. We need those who are 
who are walking the path of God to be mentors, to be models for us, to be examples. That contrast that he gives there, it's sandwiched between who are to model and then where we belong in terms of our heavenly citizenship, found in verses 20 and 21. We really see the, the picture of the now and the not yet in our dual citizenship as we are still here on this earth but not yet quite in heaven. You know, we have the confidence in the promises of God that are going to await the coming Savior who will glorify our bodies. And as we think about that, it's a, it's a blessed hope, and we, we pray for it earnestly, especially as we feel the pain in our body, especially as we feel our bodies starting to fail. It's something that we cling to, as we should. We cling to the hope and the promises that God gives us. And then as conclusion from the section in chapter 4, verse 1, as he says, therefore, so it's kind of summarizing the things that he had just said there in chapter 3. And he, had, he identifies who we are or who they are as the Philippians, and he encourages them to stand firm. You know, I take these words from Paul to heart today. Among all of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, as we're facing these difficult times of struggle, as we're facing times of joy and peace, I think about what he says a little bit further in chapter 4, whether it's in plenty or in want, understanding what contentment is. Contentment to keep our focus on the upward call, not putting our things in the hope of this world, but rather keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. And as we're doing that, we have a wonderful opportunity to be mentors and guides for one another. As we're walking with the Spirit, our faith will be visible to those around us. And that faith can be contagious. That faith can spur others on. So it's important, as I tell my kids all the time, our words and our actions. Are they, are they examples of Christ? Or are they examples of the world? So this week, as we close up this section, as we close up this book, I just want us to reflect on what it is that we're keeping our eyes focused on. Is it the things of this world or is it Christ? Again, we have our Sunday school answers. But what would the people that interact with us through the week say? What would their perspectives be? We always tend to think, we can tend to think of ourselves as doing better than we are in this area. You know, thinking about as disciples, who make disciples, who is it that we are discipling right now? Can you name those people? Who are we be being discipled from? Do we still have mentors that we're looking towards? Some things to reflect on today, for today. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, as we finish up this series, Lord, I'm just thankful and in awe at how you have grown this body, how you have grown me in the last five years. Um, just the opportunities that we've had to dive deeper in some of these areas and topics. Lord, we're thankful for the spirit that you have given us. We're thankful for the salvation that has been received. And as believers, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand and know 
that we just don't sit back, that there is work to be done, that we have the opportunity to be your witnesses, that we have, your oppor- we have the opportunity to um, be light for you. So Lord, I just pray that what we do, what we say, would reflect your heart, would reflect your word, and that we could build others up to encourage them to press forward to the upward call, the hope of your glory. Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word. And we thank you for the salvation that you have offered through Jesus. May we understand that more and more each day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.